This episode is sponsored by the Mighty Mighty Iron Galaxy. We make lots of games. You might even like a few. Follow us on Twitter at I to the G. That's at I T O T H E G. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, my name is Eric Garneau, and this is part one of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories April 2015 podcast, featuring the theme, Pick a Card. Uh, this month we move into our new home at the Cards Against Humanity Theater, and what do you know, we're featuring some of the folks behind the cards as our special guests. Uh, this episode we have cards developer Henry Birdseye on stage, as well as local artist Matthew Hoffman, actress Debbie Banos, cartoonist Kevin Budnick, comedian Andrew Bentley, and head of the Chicago Design Museum Tanner Woodford, plus music from myself, Dwight Hassler, and Claire Friedman, who also works for Cards Against Humanity. What do you know? Um, so we absolutely love being at the Cards Against Humanity Theater, and we will be recording our next episode there on Sunday, April 19th at 7pm. Uh, as always, the event is free, and if you want to tell a story, well, you probably can. Uh, just let us know. Uh, you can find info on the event on our website, www.nerdalogs.com, as well as our Facebook page, uh, and that includes contact info where you can email me to sign up for a spot if you desire. Uh, this month, we're featuring Arcade Brewery among our special guests. They might even bring some beer, P.S., and the theme of the night is Press Start. Uh, before we get to the stories, I want to thank our sponsors for the episode, Iron Galaxy Games, who make really, really cool stuff. We had founder Dave Lang on an episode last year, and he was just great. Uh, as always, also thanks to the Chicago Podcast Co-op for being so wonderful for all the support. Uh, you should definitely check out all the co-op shows you can, including other Nerdalogs joints like MBSing with Mary Beth Smith and Talking Games. Uh, I also really am a fan of An Hour With Your Ex from Mark Coulomb and Mel Evans, who like are just two great people. Uh, so that's all I've got to say for now, folks, so please enjoy the show. One, two, three, four. Nice to meet you, where you've been. I can show you incredible things. Magic, madness, heaven, sin. Saw you there and I thought, oh my God, look at that face. You look like an existence. It's a game for the play. 
bad guy's good for a weekend. So it's gonna be forever. Or it's gonna go down in flames. You can tell me when it's over. If the high was worth the pain. Run along with love and stars. They'll tell you why it's sad. Cause you know I love the players. You love the day. Cause we're young and we're reckless. We'll take this way too far. Nightmare dressed like a daisy. Oh, it's gonna be forever. Oh, it's gonna go down in flames. You can tell me when it's over. If the high was worth the pain. And along with some explorers, they'll tell you I'm insane. this episode we'll go back and listen to this years in the future and be like oh yeah that's when this episode happened so uh you're not just gonna listen to us although maybe you know if you want to do that later we can talk but we've got a lot of stories tonight and uh our first speaker is the is from cards against humanity he is their front end developer his name is on the next slide chris or kevin this is henry Gertzai. Where to stand. Um, That's fine. This, all right, sure, yeah. this, this sounds great. 
Uh, okay, so uh, the theme was pick a card. Uh, the card uh, that I picked is a fart. Um, this is this is a story uh, about young love. Um, uh, it was the the time was college. I was about nineteen. I had been dating a girl named Jessica for about four months, and it was going pretty well. Neither of us had really had a serious relationship before. So this was about the most serious thing we'd ever had, and she decided I should come home to her parents' place for the weekend and meet her family, and I did, and everything went well. I met her parents. We got along great. Not that we'd fight or anything, but, like, it was still, it was it was nice. It was comfortable. Um, I met her brother. That was cool, too, and so it's uh, Saturday night. We're at her parents' place, and we're just relaxing. We're on the couch. We're watching a movie. Uh, it's very comfortable, and... And it was just a nice moment that we'd been together. It's, you know, we're both pretty nervous. We're not really sure what a relationship is yet. And we're just kind of relaxing together. And I guess I relaxed a little too much because I farted. And, <laughs> and I thought, all right, well, this is a big moment. This is a big moment for, for, for us and our relationship. Um, it's possible that she'll be like, all right, this is cool. I, we've come this far. Uh, yeah, we're ready for this. Uh, or, or what could happen is what actually happened is she gave me a look of horror uh, and was very mad. She was very mad at me uh, for farting under the blanket we were sharing. Um, I got the dirtiest look I've ever received from another human being for doing this. And uh, she tells me, she's like, how, how dare you? My parents have been married for 25 years. And my dad still leaves the room to fart when my mom's in the room. Like, how? Oh, that's disgusting. Uh, and so the rest of the weekend doesn't go as well. She's vaguely uh, mad at me because to her, a relationship is not farting around people you love. So there was just this tension all, all weekend. Uh, and of course, I was I was not feeling great because I I no longer farted the whole weekend. I just held all all my farts in, um, just knowing that she might be there and and she might just be like, "Oh, you promised!" And so that wasn't good. And so the weekend wraps up, and uh, her parents drive us back to the dorm we both lived in, and she walks me. She lived the floor above me, so she goes me to she walks me to my room because it's it's lower, and she's like, "All right." Um, I think we should talk later. Uh, this weekend didn't go so great. I think we should have a chat. Um, but, you know, you just go get settled, come up, and I think we should have a talk like adults later. Uh, so just do that. So she leaves, and I'm like, all right, fine. Of course, we should talk. We're adults. That's what we do. Uh, adults in a relationship. Why not? And so she leaves, and I'm, I'm quietly, I'm in my room. I set my luggage down. I just, I have, you know, I take a deep breath. I have um, a moment to myself. I'm like, oh, finally... Finally, I can fart. I've been waiting all this time to fart, um, and I immediately shit my pants. <laughs> just standing in my room, like, I just did this. This is a thing I did. This, is, this has just happened. This is my life now. Now... Now I have two problems. So, I take care of the more pressing problem. I 
go down to the shared bathroom down the hall, and I, I clean up, and I, you know, do all the things you do when you shit your pants and you're 19. Um, and then, once I'm all better, uh, I go up there and we have our fight, but the thing was, um, during that fight, I felt amazing, because... I had just thrown a pair of underwear away. Nothing she could say to me could hurt me. It, it was, oh, it was so good. Um, and then, whatever, everything was okay. I guess from this I learned two things. The first is uh, a relationship is defined by two people. And so what that is, you need to figure that out. You need to have your who can fart conversations early on because you don't want anyone being surprised by a relaxed fart and ruining the weekend. Um, the second thing is, if, if the worst thing happens to you, go do another thing you're afraid of because it couldn't possibly, uh, couldn't possibly get worse. Um, all right, that's my story. Thank you. See, this is what we do at Your Stories, guys. Space Christen. This is great. Uh, coming up next, you might have seen the showman's artwork out in the hallway. It's it's kind of all around the building. If you saw a sticker that says, you are beautiful, that is true. And it is the work of Mr. Matthew Hoffman. Come on up, Matthew. I had no idea what I was going to say tonight because I really hate these things. <laughs> I hate talking about myself. It's the absolute worst. But I got talked into this to hang out with my work in the lobby. And Kevin and Max are just so encouraging and friendly that I couldn't say no. But, I mean, I was at an art event on Friday. It was a group show in the Fulton Market District. And I had already exhausted my human interaction for the day. I was completely depleted. I was only thinking about self-survival. I was on my way out the door when they said, hey, everyone in the show, we're now going to share about our work. I quickly asked if it was cool to say no thanks. They said, do what you need to do. And I said, cool, cool, cool. No thanks. (laughs) So I got out. I had to recharge. I later regretted not pushing myself to do it because you shouldn't pass up opportunities like that. And I'm not sure if it's shyness, being an introvert, or that Midwest mentality, you know, that humbleness taken just too far. So I was at the park this afternoon, only a few hours ago. You couldn't resist being outside. It was so incredible. I'm zoning out, and I suddenly hear, Mr., Mr., and I turn around, and a group of eighth grade boys, and they shout over at me, are you a famous painter? And I kind of froze because I assumed the next words out of their mouth was going to be like, because we're going to kick your ass. (laughs) And luckily, the other dad standing next to me was like, oh, yeah, 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 he's an artist. I keep a very low profile person personally. I would really much prefer to stay anonymous. My work, on the other hand, is the opposite. It's big. It's bold. It says something and hopefully takes you someplace does something for you, 
gives you something. But generally, it's not signed. It doesn't matter who made it. It's about the work and the idea of it. So in that sort of loner mentality, I moved to a quiet, the quiet far side, north far side of Chicago, to a small neighborhood with a great public school, free and open enrollment. My son had a great kindergarten year, and I enjoyed the anonymity, talking about the weather, current events. Mind you, I can barely talk about the weather. I'm going to start making buttons that say bad at small talk <laughs> and release them on my site. But I like the quiet, I like the normal, and it keeps you balanced. I don't want to be like, do you remember that South Park episode where the one family moves to San Francisco because South Park isn't cultured enough, and in the end they're smelling their own farts? <laughs> Back to the elementary school. Every year, at the beginning of the year, the art teacher focuses on an artist for all the kids from pre-K to second grade. This year, randomly picked me. As she's showing the kids the videos about me, the images that I've done, saying, here's an artist whose work is important, a boy says, uh, that's my neighbor's dad. <laughs> so the teacher went to the principal. They looked me up and reached out. I came in for a class, and I have to admit, it was really fun and rewarding. It was really special. My son was like, yeah, this is my dad. <laughs> But now I walk down the hall to go to recital or to a conference, and kids stop and say, Hi, Matthew Hoffman. <laughs> I go to birthday parties, and six-year-old kids shout, Matthew Hoffman's here. <laughs> <laughs> and on, I mean, on one hand, it's really funny and cute. And on the other hand, it's my living nightmare. <laughs> which might give you a little context about the boys from a few hours ago. In the group of eighth graders, there was a little toddler standing among them. I assume he was the little brother of one of the boys, and he had his arms crossed and lifted his right arm and said, I go to Todd Hall, as if to say, I know all about you, and there's nowhere to run. <laughs> they got closer, and the one asked, So are you like Picasso? Are you like Michelangelo? Are you like Bob Ross? <laughs> I love that he, these were the three references that he had. And I, I still didn't know where this was going, so I was just like, yeah, 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 just like Bob Ross. I need to grow up my fro a little. And the one kid goes, are you rich? Are your paintings expensive? And I said, I don't know. I mean, I make enough to get by. And he goes, Sick. <laughs> And that was it. They just wanted to say hello. Nothing special. Nothing terrible happened. So I thought it'd be funny to talk about this in practically real time, about this super awkward time that I had today at this super awkward event tonight. So I guess my card would be awkward. <laughs> All right, guys, you heard it here. If you ever see him out in public, just yell, Matthew Hoffman, Matthew Hoffman. <laughs> totally will appreciate that, as any adult would. All right, coming up next to the stage, uh, she is performing currently uh, in, with the Babes with Blades troupe doing Titus Andronicus. That sounds pretty sweet. This is Debbie Banos. I'm going to read you guys my story. <laughs> Seeing Grandma Naked. 
I saw my grandma naked once. It was November of 2001. Eulalia was 81, and she traveled from the small municipality of Cuatepeque in the small country of El Salvador to the small town of Hackett in the right-wing state of Arkansas to meet her three grandchildren living in white America, La Familia Baños. Not only the only Salvadorian family in the whole town of nearly 900 people, but the only Hispanic and the only ethnic family for miles and for fields of cows and for coops of chickens. Mi abuelita Eulalia could not speak a single English phrase. She grew up, had children and grandchildren, all in a mud house with mud floors and made tortillas by grinding the corn by hand every morning. My sweet, soft-spoken grandmother, who used to discipline my father by whipping him with her stockings, boarded a plane and came to meet us grandparent-less, first-generation Salvadorian-Americans, Arkansans. <laughs> the sibling lineup. The oldest, and myself, Debbie Baños, 12 years old. The middle kid, Kenneth Baños, 8 years old. The baby, Ashley Baños, three years old. The three of us had read books about grandparents, seen movies about grandparents, met other people's grandparents, and most importantly, daydreamed about grandparents. Those cute old people who bake you cookies, knit you sweaters, and whose wrinkly ancient wisdom-bombed lips can magically heal things that the weros called boo-boos. Their lovable, cranky antics and bad hearing lead to shouting matches and mishearing, all with perfect comedic timing. And their inappropriate comments are balanced by wisdom begotten of a forgotten age. I would dream about old Rose from Titanic and think about how weird and amusing her skin um, and weird and amusing rolling her skin through my thumb and forefinger would be and how amazing it would be to see all those blue veins through deteriorating translucent skin. Eulalia's arrival. My grandmother arrived at the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport and we drove the five hours from Hackett, Arkansas to Dallas as if we were waiting for Santa. Seriously, she might as well have been a unicorn. Kenneth and I fought in the back seat about who loved her best and why each of us was more deserving than the other of sleeping in her bed. I'm the oldest, so she should sleep in my room. Oh, yeah? Well, I'm the only boy, so she should sleep in my room. This happened the whole way there. And then there she was, short, brown, with her salt and pepper hair done como la India Maria, or Pippi Longstockings. This old lady was mine, my grandma. The three of us fought over, uh, the three of us fought over hugs and kisses all five hours home, and my mother settled the fight. Todos pueden dormir en el mismo cuarto. Everyone can sleep in the same room. When we got home, we followed my grandmother everywhere. And I don't mean outside or to the store. I mean to the living room, kitchen, and bedroom. We were her shadows, and mi probrecita abuelita could not shake us. At night, we all piled into one room. We prayed together, and it was time to sleep. She turned the lights out, and this gentle moonlight came through the window as my grandma undressed. 
It was strange because she didn't seem real. She stood feet from me, bare, and I felt like I was looking at a National Geographic photograph. Was this my grandmother? Was this a grandmother? She didn't bake cookies. She made perfect tortillas that we ate con mantequilla. Her skin wasn't translucent. It was too dark for blue vein observation. And if she told me all her wisdom, how would I use it here? I don't understand what it's like to live in a mud house and liliar con seven children, not to mention exponential grandchildren. All we could do was enjoy each other's company for a month. She died that December in El Salvador from stomach cancer, and the night she died, she came to me in a dream. She was young, gorgeous, hanging out in a field of golden wheat, and she looked so much like me. Thank you, Debbie. That was great. Man, when I saw the card you picked, uh, that is not at all the story that I thought it was going to be, but that was so wonderful. <laughs> Coming up next to the stage, this fella, oh my God, he's such a talented comic artist. Uh, this is Kevin Budnick. Come on up, Kevin. Kevin. Kevin is going to be a guest at, uh, this is a plug for me, I manage uh, a comic book store in Niles called Pastimes, and for free comic book day this year we're doing a convention, and Dwight works there too, and Kevin is going to be one of the guests at our convention, along with the Nerdalogs, along with uh, Vanessa Wilco, who is here, she makes excellent chainmail jewelry, whatever, I'll tell you guys about it later, it's not about me, it's about Kevin. Alright. Thanks, Eric. Um, it's been a while, I haven't seen you guys in a bit. Uh, so, the card I picked... Well, I'll get to that in a second. <sighs> we just want you to be happy. Let's dissect that phrase for a second. We, us, the parents, just, only, as far as I can hope, as far as I can go, want, desire. You, me, to be happy. Hold on. Wait, here's where we run into trouble. The white card I pulled as my prompt tonight was, what are your parents hiding from you? I think for people our age, or honestly any age, when we hear the phrase, what are your parents hiding from you? We immediately jump to a place of, oh, that's a good one. Because everyone has something, some reason to believe their parents are hiding something from them. I've confirmed this with several sources, so I don't believe I'm wrong in assuming that at least once in all of our lives, we had a conversation with our parents wherein the phrase, we just want you to be happy, was uttered. Maybe the, to the untrained ear, we just want you to be happy is an, is an affirmation or some form of positive reinforcement that what we are doing in our lives, the path that we've charted for our 20-something dumb baby legs to wander, uh, is going to su succeed, nay surpass what our parents want for us. But to the active listener, we just want you to be happy is an admission of defeat. It comes at the end of much angst, many temper tantrums, many arguments about insurance plans and deductibles and expiring driver's licenses. It rings in our heads with the cadence of our preteen selves, followed immediately by a door slam or a thrown cell phone. The problem with raising a child in this day and age, or really any day and age, is that you cannot do it without imbuing some sort of invisible scar upon them. From the time the tiny proto-human your parents created walked out of them, 
They hoped for nothing other than for your world to be better than the one they grew up in. But that's not the case. That's never been the case. As far as we're concerned, the world has been steadily declining in quality from the second it was created. If you want evidence, you need only to compare dinosaurs to humans. Dinosaurs were here first, and they are way cooler than humans. (laughs) Sometimes I wonder if my parents had a chance to contemplate the world the way I do. I think the answer is probably yes, though you'd never know it from watching them. They grew up in big families. They shared one-bedroom apartments with their parents and siblings. They got jobs almost as soon as they as soon as they could perform manual labor, not because their parents thought it would be good uh, would build good work ethic, but because they had to. And they put themselves through school and came out and started a family because that's what you do, I guess. Uh, I don't know to pass the time. And now their son is in a state of perpetual existential crisis because his parents paid his way in life. Because they want him to be happy. Because we've come so far that technology gives us the free time to not have to work from sunup to sundown. And with that comes the ability to question the meaning of it all. Which brings me back to my black card. Now the rules for tonight were to pick a card, but I picked two. Because every story needs an end, and every setup needs a punchline, and every white card needs a black card. Anyone who's studied Eastern religion, and I have not... knows that you can't put that much yang into the world without some yin to soften it. So so what are my parents hiding from me? He said as he reached into the deck and pulled out, the devil himself. (laughs) My parents are hiding the devil. Okay, how can I spin this one? Well, my parents protected me, never wanted me to have the experience that they did, how awful and abusive my dad's dad was, or how my mom felt like an accessory to my grandma's lifestyle. There's a lot of despicable shit out there, and that's, to my soft, white, middle-class upbringing, something I didn't have to wade through until I was old enough to understand how despicable it actually was. And you know what? Maybe I should listen to them when they say they just want me to be happy, because that's all it literally means. What I do with that information is up to me. I'm lucky because I get to define my word, happy. And maybe they didn't get that chance. And maybe there are a lot of people on this planet right now that also don't get that chance. Maybe the, de- de- maybe the devil himself is straight up everywhere and everyone, and it's me and it's you and my parents also, and it's unavoidable because you can't even raise a child without screwing up their mind in some way. Or maybe I just have Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, Kevin's latest graphic novel is called Old Gum Wrappers and Grocery Listed. It's a beautiful piece of cartooning. Is that on your website, Kevin? It is. KevinBudnick.com? Is that, yeah, that's it. There you go. Yeah. com. Super easy address. It is a great book. Because <laughs> we have one more story, and then we're going to take a short break. This next gentleman is a, a good, a wonderful storyteller, uh, Nerdalogs Emeritus, great friend, Andrew Bentley. Yeah! Hello, I'm Andrew Bentley, and my card was inflating Sean Hannity with helium and watching him float away. (laughs) Inflating Sean Hannity with helium and watching him float away. What a lovely thought. It's so satisfyingly benign. As a supposedly enlightened humanist, I have at least the rudimentary moral compass necessary to feel guilty about murder. 
I couldn't ever truly enjoy the thought of, say, caving Sean Hannity's skull with a ball-peen hammer, or <laughs> holding Sean Hannity's lying, venomous face against a belt sander, or making Sean Hannity eat so many bees that he craps honey. No, no, no. That would be inequitable. But turning him into a human balloon? That's so much more poetic. It's... It's a whimsical, rolled dollian notion, dripping with cosmic justice, yet untainted by the guilt of entirely justified violence. If you try, you can almost picture him there in the book, scribbled out by Quentin Blake on page 49, indignantly swollen with that noblest of gases, and tilting in the wind to the joyous amazement of some Dickensian scamp in his magical woodchuck. I can see his face, somehow pinched with rage, even when stretched to its limit, and the string trailing from his asshole, worn with years of tugging by every special interest and coke subsidiary eager to make Sheriff Woody talk. There's a snake in my boot. Somebody poisoned the waterhole. Climate change is a liberal myth. By ceding responsibility for his fate to the whims of the trade winds and the happenstance of local power lines, we could sleep peacefully at night comforted by the thought that he's still up there somewhere, floating around in the atmospheric equivalent of that farm upstate where old dogs go to romp and frolic and are only very rarely sucked up by jet intakes and shredded into thousands of wet morsels raining down like Bolognese into the reticent ocean. (laughs) It's important for us to keep that high ground, at least publicly. You see, that's the great lesson Sean had to teach us before vanishing into the sky like a bloated captive Mary Poppins. The power of appearances. There is no ugly fact so undeniable or unconquerable that it cannot be subverted by an even uglier lie. If we shout long enough and furrow our brow and clench our anus in feigned indignation, if we pummel our straw man and shake our heads and spread our hands in demure apology for the inevitable results of our rigorous journalism, we can even convince each other that it was Sean's fault all along. Coming up next, it would say, did Sean Hannity deserve to be force-fed two feet of esophageal tubing and repurposed as a grotesque dirigible? (laughs) We don't know. But here's four experts who think the answer could be yes. (laughs) And, of course, one meek asshole who might dare to imply with all the confidence of a bow-legged fawn at its seventh-grade talent show that while both sides have a salient point, maybe there was a bit of an overreaction. And, of course, we won't stand for that. That uppity little traitor will need to be thoroughly ground down into the dirt just in case anyone gets the impression that there's even a hint of gray to the matter. Then, after the break... Woodland talent shows. Is there anything more adorable? (laughs) And our monstrous apparatus will chug on. We learned our lessons well, Sean, from you, Sean. We learned it from watching you. (laughs) From watching you and knowing, knowing that you're no true believer, that even that final bulwark of sympathy is denied to you. Sean knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows we know he knows, and knowing that gives him such a rock-hard, pants-defying, carbon-60 hard-on that it's a wonder every beat of his black heart, every new surge of blood, doesn't bobble the head of the little plastic Reagan on his desk. (laughs) And he knows, just as we do, that that the malignant implement he services is built with redundancy of forethought, and will not miss him. It will not falter a single step of its cloven hoof. We could fill the sky with floating jeans and power ties. 
We could blot out the sun and bring forth a new age of sun-kissed cities buoyed upon the backs of wheezing pundits, squeaking against each other in silent, pop-eyed distress. And it would do nothing to stop the hands that tug the string. You're not worth the helium, Sean, even if we want you to be. We need it to manufacture our semiconductors. Now, bees, on the other hand... (laughs) Thank you. Max, I think you just got some more ideas for cards. There was like five or six pitches in there, dude. This next gentleman, I met him before the show. He is a fantastic fella. Uh, behind the Chicago Design Museum, this is Tanner Woodford. Tanner Woodford! Hi there. How's it going? I'm going to say, actually. Perfect. Uh, thanks for the invite. Uh, so my name's Tanner. Uh, my card tonight is two midgets shitting in a bucket. <laughs> However, um, the amount of relevance that has in my life is exactly what you'd expect. Uh, way too much. So uh, instead, I'm actually going to talk about the exact opposite of that. Uh, I pulled two documents, being a design history sort of buff and a, and a giant nerd. I pulled two documents from the depths of history uh, that I'm very excited to read. They're about a century old. Uh, the first is the Dada Manifesto, and the second is the Bauhaus Manifesto. So <laughs> we're going to start with the Dada Manifesto. The magic of a word... Dada, which has brought journalists to the gates of a world unforeseen, is of no importance to us. To put a manifesto, you must want ABC to fulminate, fulminate against one, two, three, to fly into a rage and sharpen your wings, to conquer and disseminate little ABCs and big ABCs, to sign, shout, swear, to organize prose into a form of absolute and irrefutable evidence, to prove your nonplus ultra, and maintain that novelty resembles life, just as the latest appearance of some whore proves the essence of God. His existence was previously proved by the accordion landscape, the wheedling word. To impose your ABC is a natural thing, hence deplorable. Everybody does it in the form of a crystal bluff Madonna, monetary system, pharmaceutical product, or bare leg advertising the ardent sterile spring. The love of novelty is the cross of sympathy, demonstrates a naive gemophustisma, if you speak French, I'm so sorry. It is a transitory, positive sign without a cause. But this need itself is obsolete. In documenting art on the basis of the supreme simplicity, novelty, we are human and true for the sake of amusement, impulsive, vibrant, crucified boredom. At the crossroads of the lights, alert, attentively waiting the years in the forest, I write a manifesto and I want nothing, yet I say certain things. And in principle, I am against manifestos, as I am also against principles, half pints to measure the moral value of every phrase too, too convenient. Approximation was invented by the Impressionists. I write this manifesto to show that people can perform, can perform contrary actions together while taking one fresh gulp of air. I am against action, for continuous contradiction, for affirmation too. I am neither for nor against, and I do not explain, because I hate common sense. Dada. This is a word that throws up ideas so they can be shot down. Every bourgeois is a little playwright who invents different subjects and who instead of situating unsuitable characters on the level of his own intelligence, like chrysalis on chairs, tries to find causes or objects according to whichever psychoanalytic method he practices to give weight to his plot, a talking and self-defining story. Every spectator is a plotter. If he tries to explain a word to know from his padded refuge of serpentine complications, he allows his instincts to be manipulated, whence the sorrows of conjugal life. To be plain, the amusement of red bellies and the mills of empty skulls Dada means nothing. Tristan uh, Zara, 1918. 
And then one year later, the Bauhaus Manifesto, and this is one I identify with a little bit more, the ultimate aim of all visual arts is the complete building. To embellish buildings was once the noblest function of fine arts. They are the indispensable components of great architecture. Today, the arts exist in isolation, from which they can be rescued only through the conscious cooperative effort of all craftsmen. Architects, painters, and sculptors must recognize anew and learn to grasp the composite character of a building both as an entity and in its separate parts. Only then will their work be imbued with the architectonic spirit it has lost as salon art. The old schools of art were unable to produce this unity. How could they, since art cannot be taught? They must be merged once more with the workshop. The mere drawing and painting world of the pattern designer and the applied artist must become a world that builds again. When young people who take a joy in artistic creation once more begin their life's work by learning a trade, then the unproductive artist will no longer be condemned to deficient artistry. For their skill will now be preserved for the crafts in which they will be able to achieve excellence. Architects, sculptors, painters, we must all return to the crafts. For art is not a profession. There is no essential difference between the artist and the craftsman. The artist is an exalted craftsman. In rare moments of inspiration, transcending the consciousness of his will, the grace of heaven may cause his work to blossom into art. But proficiency in a craft is essential to every artist. Therein lies the prime source of creative imagination. Let us then create a new guild of craftsmen without the class distinctions that raise an arrogant barrier between craftsmen and artist. Together, let us desire, conceive, and create the new structure of the future, which will embrace architecture and sculpture and painting in one unity, and which will one day rise toward heaven from the hands of a million workers like the crystal symbol of a new faith. Walter Gropius, 1919. Well, I think uh, you'll be seeing more uh, from the Chicago Design Museum uh, here on the stage in a few months. I don't know if that's a finalized thing yet, but yeah, uh, we're, we're going to do some cool stuff with those guys. It'll be much less serious. Much less serious. <laughs> no, but for real, we're going to get super serious, though, so all, all dashboard all the time. So we took a little liberty with this guy, um, but this is uh, this is based on the Tenacious D medley that it kicks fucking ass. So and Dwight's been wanting to do it for years. Yeah, I have. <laughs> Can cure the boy, Doctor Rothbaum. Can cure the boy. Boo da boo da boo da da 
wanted to do Tommy like as a like live just like do the fucking music to Tommy would anyone come see that if like we did it with like a full band <laughs> hear that Kevin Mr. Producer man alright I think we'll, I think we'll like I think we'll like gender swap it so Claire is Tommy I think Tammy I don't know that makes sense to me anyway but it's Melissa McCarthy instead of <laughs> instead of Claire yeah Melissa McCarthy's in the band this has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.